Hey brother Hear me now Brother dog Know me Understand Welcome to the Sargasset Podcast. I'm Robbie Thigpen. I'm Francesca Elmer. And I am Mar Fernandez. And we are your hosts for today. And we are going to share with you the latest ideas and concepts about sargassum and sargassum beaching events which have become an international challenge. Good morning, everyone, or afternoon or evening for Eloise. Um, I want to welcome you to the Sargassum podcast. Today, we do not have Mar with us, but our summer intern, Eloise. And the reason why is because, like me, she is a island innovation ambassador. And in our interview today, you will hear a bit about what the island innovation ambassador is. Eloise, how did you hear about the Island Innovation Ambassador Program? I heard about the Island Innovation Ambassador Program when I was going through a summer internship in the past, in the last year, May, and I was looking through over some a virtual internship since the pandemic started. And so, like, when I found Island Innovation, I was thinking to myself, hey, this is actually a really cool idea. This is something that I should do, even if it's, um, like, through the Internet, you know. And I get to meet to a lot of people, and I get to meet a lot of, like, professionals. And maybe I can, get, like, I can try to get myself connected to more people all around the world about environmental science. And that's how I end up in as an island ambassador for the CNMI, which is the Commonwealth of the NMI of Islands. That's my story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, very, very nice. Um, so we're glad to have you here. So Francisca, I'm not an island ambassador. How did you get involved? Ah, how did I get involved? I, I heard about island innovation about two years <clears throat> ago. Um, I heard about their summit that they have every year, a virtual summit. And because I was just getting interested in hosting my own virtual conference, I wanted to check it out to see what how they're doing things. Plus, they had a talk about sargassum. So that was kind of interesting to me back then as well. And I really liked their summit and I stayed in touch and got their email newsletters. And at one point I found out about their ambassador program and last year I signed up for it. So Robbie, are you gonna oh, be Ireland ambassador, ambassador next year? I'm, 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 I'm ambassador in enough already, I think. And you know, I got a pretty full plate and all, but it sounds like a, a really good project. And I probably know some people that should be involved. So um, maybe I can get involved that way by and invite yes. people. Yeah, and you also, should. Yes. It's, it's be a awesome. great network. The more the merrier. <clears throat> Let me introduce our guest today. Um, our guest today is James Elsmore. Uh, he's the founder and the direction director of Island Innovation. And Island Innovation connects rural and island locations around the world, which are working on similar development issues. Um, island Innovation began, 
with a newsletter about four years ago and a series of virtual events and has now evolved into a community of over 127,000 members. James is also the co-founder of Solar Head of State, which works with governments to push action on renewable energy. Um, they focus on small island developing states and have solar installations on the office of the Prime Minister of Jamaica, the Government House in St. Lucia, and the Presidential Palace in the Maldives. Now they're also working with the Organization of Eastern Caribbean States and the Pacific Island Development Forum to install solar on official residences across these organizations combined 24 member states. James has a master's degree in island studies from the University of Highlands and Islands and is a true expert on sustainability on islands. Welcome to the podcast, James. Thanks so much for having me, Robbie, Eloise, Francisco. Really great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and we're happy to have you here. And uh, we're going to get right straight to the questions. And all the one question we always ask everybody is, um, and, and this is more of a philosophical question than it is a, a technical question, but what is sargasm to you? So sargasm, what is sargasm to me? Uh, we have a really global view of islands. Our interest is to look uh, from the Caribbean to the Pacific to the Arctic and say, how do these islands uh, have similar opportunities and similar challenges? And so uh, a large part of our audience, of course, comes from the, the Caribbean basin and, and surrounding countries. And I very much, for me, associate sargasm with, with that re region, both from my own personal experience of being there, but also from talking to uh, hotel owners, tourism stakeholders, conservationists, all of those partners um, who are working around um, that, uh, that region and seeing really the, 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 the level of impact that these tourism-dependent economies um, can have from Sargassum, but also seeing on a regional level the number of people working on looking at Sargassum as a resource and not just a problem. So both sides of the coin, how can Sargassum be used and, and the innovative ideas that are coming to actually use that, or despite all the many challenges of, of using it. So I'm definitely by no means a Sargassum expert, but I like to think of um, kind of the whole island economy where and, 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 and system where this fits in and where this impacts. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we love that idea. And I think at the podcast, we try to do the same thing. We try to see the whole picture and how sargassum impacts everybody in different ways. Um, I have lived on islands for quite a while and everybody who has done so knows that islands are just kind of different from the mainland or the continents. Um, can you tell us some of the challenges that I, I, islanders have to deal with that may, people on the mainland may not have to deal with? Well, obviously, we are t talking about a wide group of places here. And one of the first questions people often ask me is, what is an island? Um, and I don't have an answer for that question because we, we don't have a specific definition. Um, I, I, I'm not sure that we would class Australia as an island. I'm not sure that New Zealand and the UK uh, should necessarily be included. So it's, it's a bit vague, 
Greenland is one of the biggest islands in the world, far bigger than the UK, but because of the setup of the population and, and kind of the, the economy, uh, has many of the same characteristics of um, some of the much more uh, higher populated but tropical, uh, tropical islands, for example. Um, so, so clearly there is a wide range of what it means to be an islander, and, and islandness is very much associated with a very distinct location and sense of place. Um, but, but at the same time, there are these common challenges and opportunities. So since the onset of the, of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, islands have been some of the hardest hit regions. Um, on the economy side, that's due to the often reliance on a single sector, which in many cases is tourism, not always. Um, and the reality of the double-edged sword that we know tourism is, but the reality of that being such a major source of, of income for so many, so many islanders. And so there's been a real hard hit in, 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 in across the world. The world's most tourism-dependent region is, is, is the Caribbean. Um, at the same time, there are... I, I guess there's this idea of innovation coming from island, islands and, and that's kind of why we named the network as we did. The idea that the constraints of islandness, uh, the limitations of islandness in itself, in themselves drive innovation because you have fewer resources than you might do in a large continental city. And so you have to make do with what's available to you. Um, in the past, that was that that could be very literal in the sense of um, using uh, a very limited amount of things that you have um, to 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 make a new uh, I don't know make a uh, to to repair something or make a new fishing trap or whatever it might be. Um, today, clearly, we're a very globalized world, and so uh, most of the things available can, at least in some level, be. Um, available in, in some, t some amount of time to islanders, although there may be an extra cost or time associated with that. And what I think is really interesting is that the, these constraints of islandness um, conceptually can drive new forms of innovation that can then be used and implemented on continental areas. And so the example that's always most familiar to me is renewable energy. Islands in general have very expensive electricity. In the Caribbean, it's four to six times more than in Florida. Um, to, to pay for electricity. And that constraint drives an interest in alternate forms and makes the fact that we need to find an alternative solution much more pressing there than um, it might be in, uh, in a mainland area. Yeah, that's true. Um, two islands I know, Barbados and Bonaire, are the only places I know that actually want to be fossil fuel free by 2030. So I think that's a really good example showing how the islands are really pressing to get away from energy from fossil fuels because it is so expensive. I also want to share up with Island Innovation was actually a really, really good program because um, it, it also connects to all of the islands together and making sure that whatever problem that they actually address, they're going to share that within each other and to share and it, it just shows how much how connected we all are which is which is very unique because i feel like even if we are different kinds of islands all around the world we have similarity of issues that, that we are facing at the moment and we just thought that sometimes some islands feel like as if they are alone all right so 
The next question oh, is... Yes. Thanks, Eloise. Yeah. Just wanted to comment on that because that's something we hear a lot. Um, yes. And obviously the idea of being an islander historically has been a sense of isolation in some way. And so it's really in interesting to have this global network of places that are defined by isolation. And so we hear so often, oh, wow, we're not the only people with this issue or with this problem exactly. or with this opportunity that we're trying to harness. I always make sure to say opportunities and problems. Um, and, and it's amazing how an island in the north of Scotland can have a similar challenge to an island in the South Pacific and to see that what I call a digital bridge form, connect those places. And okay, the way that a project will be implemented is going to be different for cultural, for economic, for various reasons, but mm -hmm. the inspiration and, and idea sharing and also motivation sharing is a really big, uh, is a really important part of this. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing, Mr. James. All right. And so for the next question is one where our living on an island, it does not only have its, like the downsides though. What are some of the advantages and strengths of the island communities? Absolutely. Well, I think there's this real pride that you see in so many places of this, of, of, of uh, a sense of home and a sense of place and seeing that sense of community. Uh, people really, um, really wanting to see their island succeed and thrive, which I always think is, is, is amazing. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's an unfortunate association, even um, there's an unfortunate association with the word, even the word insularity in English tends to be defined as kind of backwards or inward looking. And that's really unfair and, and not appropriate anymore because most islanders have got, have a history of emigration and travel and are very much connected globally. And so I think there's this interesting change now in definition of what it means to be an islander. There are people who grow up from, who grow up in say the US mainland or Australian mainland who have family connections to certain island communities. And they still very much are part of those island communities, despite the fact they may never have even been there physically through, you know, even things like Facebook and social media. They, that's really changed how what, what it means to be a community and what it means to have a have, be an island, and I think that's a really interesting thing that we're that we're seeing with the gr with the continual growth and development of social media, etc. Um, and so, really, what we wanted to do is harness some of those connections and opportunities to help people, give people the tools to to drive their own change um, and and to, and to make change locally. And a lot of that can just be convincing people and getting people in the right in 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 in, in the right place um, and there's a lot when it comes to sustainable development and and, and and climate change there's a lot of leadership coming from islands particularly in the South Pacific the Caribbean SIDS countries that they know as islanders that they are vulnerable to climate change some of the most vulnerable countries and places in the world but not seeing themselves as victims and being at the forefront of driving change. And so particularly Pacific Islanders, uh, but other SIDS residents around the world, um, 
being uh, the, uh, a voice of authority, of moral authority on climate change, I think is really important. And, um, and other aspects of sustainable development. And so like I mentioned with the renewable energy, you saw things like um, some of the places that were first to uh, bring in rules on plastic, uh, plastic bags and reducing plastic have been many island communities as well. And so I, I like to think that within the environmental space, there's a lot of leadership shown by islands globally. Thanks so much, Mr. James, for sharing that one. And it all comes to connection. And like for me, in my own side, I just feel that it just has to have something to begin with. Because like if we don't have anyone else to like to bring them together, then it'll be an issue. But thank you so much again for sharing. Yeah, I, I agree with Eloise. If uh, somebody doesn't do it, no one will. And also, I really appreciate you guys' efforts. Yeah. And all, um, you know, thank I, you. Islands can and can be a, a part of a group of part of a nation, or a group of islands can be a part of a territory, like where Elo Eloise lives, or or they can be their own sovereign nation, um, like a lot of the island nations of the Eastern Caribbean. <clears throat> and does does these differ um, relationships to state, if you will? And um, they, do they have a large effect on these island communities? Or, or there's a lot of political stuff going on, and, and you know, with resources, etc. Uh, Robbie, I'm so glad you brought up that point. That's a really, really important one. That our network, we really want to connect islands, regardless of political status. And so, clearly, Hawaii's economy and culture and many other aspects and, and the other Pacific U.S. territories are very much, in many ways, more connected to the rest of the Pacific Islands than they are to the mainland states. But the politics of being a state or a territory versus being a, uh, a country completely change how that island is able to interact with uh, others on the world stage. And so... Um, there are all these different levels and actually you often find that many islands fall in this, what I maybe call a gray zone that is between, um, between a, say, a state and um, a municipality. So Puerto Rico being a, a, a very uh, important example there of um, when uh, Hurricane Maria hit, hit Puerto Rico, um, by not being a state, many of the resources available to state governments were not there. By not being an independent country, it couldn't go to many of the resources that were available to others. And so this kind of falling in this gray zone of, of political autonomy but not independence um, can really impact them. And you see that the Caribbean must have 50-plus different states, territories, political divisions within it. And so it's very, very fragmented. Um, some are part of Dutch, Dutch, Dutch territories, U.S. territories, U.K., France, uh, but also the islands of Colombia, Nicaragua, Venezuela, um, as well as obviously the independent countries, many of which have their own islands. You know, think of Trinidad and Tobago. Trinidad is the is the key is, is the biggest island, but Tobago is also a self uh, has its own uh, uh, assembly that makes its own rules. So all these different levels. And I guess my point is that 
what often that limits is the ability for these islands to then form interactions with each other. Puerto Rico often looks north, and people in Puerto Rico often look north to things happening in the U.S. without being able to, sometimes because of political barriers, but also um, kind of other connections and, and, and cultural barriers to the islands that are, are around it. And so that's a really big thing for us. Like how, how can we um, help people connect despite those political limitations? Because the small island developing states, the SIDS countries, they're the independent countries that have a seat at the table at the United Nations. Um, Barbados, Fiji, Mauritius, they're all independent nations. They have a voice at the UN, which means that they also have a voice at the COP, the climate conferences and other conferences, and they can have that voice heard. And they make up a very important block when it comes to these conversations of around a quarter of UN member states, um, despite being a much smaller uh, population, a global population. Um, whereas, say, uh, the again, to use that example of Puerto Rico, but you could also say Guadeloupe, French Polynesia, the French territories, they're represented by Washington, D.C. or Paris that actually have quite a different interest than if they were representing themselves. And so that politics plays a huge impact on how these islands are able to interact with each other, how policies get put into place locally, uh, but then also what, uh, what the conversation looks like on the, on the world stage. Yeah, I see that in the sargassum world as well, especially when it goes to like research grants and um, grants for projects and for sustainable um, development or solutions for sargassum. It's often tied to, um, okay, this is just for these islands that belong to this country in Europe or for the American islands and so on. So it's kind of hard to to come up with projects that are for all the islands or for a, a weird mix of islands that doesn't belong to the same country, but maybe are right next to each other. When it comes to Sargassum, um, some of the two of the worst, uh, some of the worst affected islands are the uh, various territories in the Eastern Caribbean. And you mentioned Guadeloupe and, and Martinique who've been very prominent in this discussion. And they are integral parts of the EU. So sitting in Guadeloupe is the same as sitting on mainland France politically. And so the border of crossing what you can see the neighboring islands from Guadeloupe, but that is a border between the EU and external country. And so the, that, that politics plays a huge role in, in how this collaboration can help at a regional level. I will say with Guadeloupe and Martinique, um, there is a growing push for them to be integrated through the Organization of Eastern Caribbean States, um, which does play this regional coordination role. And so, you know, hopefully that will help, um, help kind of bring together some of that regional collaboration. But when it comes to funding, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a, trying to do anything on a regional level in the Caribbean, is, is, as I'm sure you found, very, very difficult with all the different uh, political statuses. Yeah, for sure. Um, so sargassum, I think at the moment it's still seen more of a problem in the Caribbean islands and rightfully so, like especially this year, but also years before the beaches are just full of it. And it's really hard even with a few years of experience to, to, to manage the sargassum well. Um, do you see, however, the potential for this changing and becoming an opportunity? 
Um, I, I hear both sides. I mean, clearly there is a risk factor and people immediately view it as a, as a problem because of all the costs and issues that your listeners will, will, well know already. Um, but there are some really interesting people looking at how to use it into a resource. Again, I think the political, but also the geographic fragmentation of trying to process this on islands that are quite small. If, if this was all maybe in Florida, it's much easier for them to have a central processing plant and collect um, from the whole coast. Um, but in a, in a small island, there might ju not just be both the quantity of sargassum necessary to make it viable, but also the demand for the end product necessary to make it viable. So there is that challenge. Um, but there is a growing interest in, um, in, in looking at it in an opportunity that I see in terms of um, the, the project that, that I, I hear of most is, is um, in, in St. Lucia turning, turning sargassum into a viable, um, in, in, into a vi a viable fertilizer. And obviously, for, for many of the islands, that's, that seems like a good opportunity. Uh, but also, while acknowledging that the agricultural industry on many of these islands has been decimated over the past few decades and isn't what it was 50 years ago. And so that, if, if it's going to be used as a, as a, as a fertilizer and, and, and that processing is chemically and economically viable, then there needs to be a, a revival in agriculture, which there's growing interest in, um, but, but could be a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I know St. Lucia, the company in St. Lucia is actually exporting their fertilizer because they're making so much of it. I think they export to the States even. Nice. That's really cool. All right. So for my next question is, I would like for you to, um, to share about what is Island Innovation again? So I really like to see our innovation as, as, as a movement that brings together um, all of these different courses globally, helps inspire people, helps give connections. And, um, you know, with programs like our ambassador network that you mentioned already is, is able to help drive change ultimately on the ground, but using information and connections to do so. Thank you so much, Mr. James. Well, that's very interesting. Um, you know, as we discussed earlier at the beginning of the thing, you know, Robbie's too busy to become an island ambassador, but I do know a lot of people who probably could benefit from this, and, and the place, the islands they live on in the Western Caribbean could benefit from participating in this program as well. So how does one become an island ambassador? So we invite islanders around the world to apply. We have a whole range of ambassadors from the age of 16 to at least in their 70s. Um, we have people who are professionals, academics, uh, government workers, um, and, and, and business owners. So a real wide range of people, but we ask for people that are um, living or working on islands and are committed to projects locally. And the idea of the Island Ambassadors Program is really to form that connection to what is happening on our global um, global high-level conversations and help translate that locally. So whether that's um, writing articles for your local news or doing interviews on your local radio, 
um, trying to raise awareness of things and, and hopefully when, once COVID allows, holding some physical events that will complicate, uh, that will, holding some physical events that will complement the virtual island summits that takes place every September. So we'll really have this global virtual discussion, but then tangible uh, in-person real uh, meetups of, of, of people figuring out how to implement those ideas on their islands locally. And, and unfortunately, because of COVID, that's again not going to be, be possible this year, um, with the exception of a few islands that have, are COVID-free and able to do so. Uh, but next year, we're confident that, that that's going to be the, the main uh, goal of the summit. Awesome, and I'm actually really excited to see like what's going to be happening so far. All right, and so the next question is, as an island ambassador ourselves, what can we share about sarcasm to our island ambassador community? So I, I think... Um, some of the ambassadors are very much aware of the sargassum issue if it's on their islands. Others may not. It may seem a kind of distant thing that, that they don't really understand. So I think um, it's important for people to understand that kind of history of what, why this is an issue and, and, and a lot of people don't, don't know anything about it. And I think there's also a wider interest in both in, in, in seaweed and, and the kind of the opportunity that could be there that's not necessarily the sargassum issue as we often talk about in the Caribbean, but how seaweed can be, be, be a resource. And so um, we're, uh, we, we'll be really keen for people to participate in our virtual island summit in September, where hopefully we'll be talking about the sargassum uh, challenge and, and, and uh, creating some regional conversations around, around that. Um, and also people can participate in the Island Innovation Network through the Facebook group, through the LinkedIn group, and share their own stories or, or, or work that they're doing on those platforms and hopefully engage with conversation uh, with others working on similar things. So that Facebook group and LinkedIn group, can anybody join those groups? Yes, absolutely. They're open to anyone. So um, the Island Innovation community is very broad, very open. Um, all of our events are open to to all. Obviously, we have community guidelines of what can be posted and, and, and the kind of content that we have in those. Um, but uh, it's open to all, and we, we really want it to be an inclusive platform that people, whether you're working on a small, very local project or global uh, organization, can um, communicate and um, benefit from from participating. Mm -hmm. Can awesome. you tell us um, a bit more about the Island Innovation Summit? Like we we kind of talked about it a little bit, but not in details. Um, like, what is it exactly? When does it take place? And who can take part in it? Yes, absolutely. So. Um, so the um, the Virtual Island Summit will take place um, early September. It's free to register. You can go to virtualislandsummit.com. Interestingly, we started this before COVID as a virtual summit.
because uh, obviously islands are spread all over the world. It's a really global network and also a low carbon way of, of doing this kind of discussion. And so we were in a place before the virtual, before pandemic, where we were already really seeing the opportunity of virtual events. I realize now we're all in a place where people are missing human contact and wanting to, wanting to engage more in person. But I do see that there's a long-term opportunity here to use these, these kind of virtual platforms to share information. So our virtual island summit every September will be staying as a, as a virtual event. And, um, and we had over 10,000, 10,000 island stakeholders globally sign up last year. Um, with sessions ranging from sustainable transport, agriculture, tourism, all different aspects of the SDGs, and then also some cultural sessions looking at different islands around the world. Um, so yeah, I would really encourage anyone interesting to sign up and interested to sign up uh, to participate to learn from the different sessions. You can join all of them. You can join one of them. It'll be a really great, great week. And uh, if you sign up, also you'll have access to all of the recordings of those sessions, and we're we're building up an archive of all this island content. Very nice. Very nice. Maybe we'll let everybody uh, know that, and we'll, maybe we can put some links down here at the bottom so everybody can uh, get in touch with you if you might want to learn more yes of course we will put all Fantastic. the links That'd that people great. need we'll let everyone know <laughs> um, do any of you have more questions for James well it doesn't look like it so I think we're at the end of our interview Thank you so much, James, for, for taking the time to talk to us today. And we learned a lot about islands. And maybe Robbie will sign up a bunch of his friends as island ambassadors soon. Fantastic. We would love that, Robbie. And I'll say uh, as well, we'll have applications opening for next year's Island Ambassador, Ambassador Program in uh, November, December. So it would be great if you... Uh, and share that awesome. with anyone who might be interested. Uh, they can go to the website and sign up on, on right now, sign their interest, and we'll share that. But thanks again. It was great talking to the three of you. Yeah, thank you for thank being you, here Thank you, Mr. James. So, Robbie, you're the only one who hasn't met James before. What do you think about the interview we did today? Well, he, he had a very peculiar accent to be coming to us live from from uh, Lisbon and all um, that's the first thing I noticed that is his accent in that place um, you know um, so that, that's one thing but other than that he seemed like a pretty good guy and, all, and uh, I've certainly heard you talk about this program a lot and uh, I learned more about it today than I've known about it in the past and all but one big question I have for you is um, did you mention this to anybody when you were on Isla de Mujeres a couple of weeks ago? Uh, I didn't. Um, uh, we actually didn't talk to many locals on Isla de Mujeres because it's very, very full with tourists. And we only spent a few days there. But yeah, um, the islands here in Mexico definitely could profit and the islanders from... Um, the Island Innovation Ambassador Program as well. 
uh, but, but all I know there are more islands out there that still need to be profited when it comes to the island innovation and I know that James and the team would truly do more and I can't wait to know what other island is out there so that a lot of people can be more connected towards it's like the networks yeah there's so many <laughs> you, you know something yes. he might want to you, you might want to call him in a little bit and tell him that gcfi has um about three more days to submit an abstract he may want to think about um offering a you know a, a, a remote presentation for gcfi this year and uh, that could get the word out to a lot of people. That's true. I mean, I think a lot of people in the Caribbean already know mm -hmm. about um, island innovation. Um, but yeah, I mean, more people knowing about it and giving presentations at other conferences may be a good way to do so. Yeah, that's true. Well, that was an excellent interview today, and I want to thank everybody for being here. And, um, you know, you could have been anywhere else on the planet today, but you chose to hang out with us, and, and we're literally all over the planet today, when in the middle of the Pacific, South Carolina, Mexico. And um, and so, yeah, we appreciate you being with us today. Stargasm Podcast is made possible with financial support from uh, Kimberly Green, Latin American and Caribbean Center, or the, Center at the Florida International University. And uh, we want to thank them for all their support. And uh, we'll see you again next week. Bye. See you again next week. See you again next week. Bye. Thank you for tuning in today and learning with us from our guests. If you want more information about our guests talk about today, then please check our show notes for links and information in our archives. And don't forget to like and share our podcast with your friends. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider supporting us financially by becoming a Patreon. For as little as $1 per month, you can support us and get the exclusive benefit of being able to submit questions for our interviewees ahead of time. The Sargasm Podcast is produced by Marine Conservation Without Borders and is made possible with financial support from the Kimberly Green Latin American and Caribbean Center's U.S. Department of Education Title VI grant. It is produced by Marcel Van de Camp and our summer interns, Lauren Blakenship, Eloise Lopez, and Jenna Contusio, and hosted by Robbie Thigpen, Francisca Elmer, Mar Fernandez, Florence Menez, Cleo Maridakis, and Paula Diaz. We will be back next week with another exciting guest. The music of this podcast is from the song Dema Prey by Drizzle Road Rana, an artist from Roatan. Follow him on Spotify or YouTube for more music. But for now, here is the full song Dema Prey. Hey, brother. Hear me now. Brother, dog. 
Now me understand Now for them no one be see we get nothing That's why they my free and no ways front and star Now for them no one be see we get nothing That's why they my free Now for them my free Free they my free They my free me no gain progress Now for them my free They my free me no gain success Now for them my free they my free, me no gain progress. Not for them my free. They my free, me no reap success. So me tell them yeah, promises for money no take that. Only if it come from Jah, I'll accept that. Not for them me put my trust in and give me setback. Yo, select that, me and pull up that. Tell some wicked that bad mind me no fear them. Anytime them cheat and chat, me no hear them. Me dash a few hearts so body queer them. Me dash a few hearts so tell them where them. Not for them a free. They my free, me no gain progress. Not for them a free. They my free, me no reap success. So me tell them yeah. Yes, me know me have a lot of fake friends But me never woulda taught me woulda have fake family So me tell them straight, me no trust them Me no trust you and me no trust him Fake friend lost, lost bad mind in a real life star Me no rate that star, me no rate that When me real family woulda bust a million shot in a real life Real, real, real life Now for them a free Them a free, me no gain progress Now for them a free they my free, me no reap success. Now for them my free. They my free, me no gain progress. Now for them my free. They my free, me no reap success. So me tell you, yeah. Like, but they my hate and grudge and creep on mine. They my move like Judas. They my move like Judas. Plus, everybody have a life to live. So, when they give one rash clock, who I try judge me like them chit and chat. So, what them want to say? Cause none of them out there, not people. Now, they my free. They my free, me no gain progress. Now, for them my free. They my free, me no rape success. Now for them a free They my free, me no gain progress Now for them a free They my free, me no rape success